God is doing in my life. I'm not perfect. Did I mess up? Yeah. Did I mess up from the beginning when I was 19 to now when I'm 23? Oh, yeah. Did I, you know, make mistakes and maybe making some decisions? Yeah, I'm not perfect. Okay, how many of you guys are perfect in here? If you are, raise your hand. <laughs> but I just share, like, you can, you can definitely still see God after anything that you've been through. You know, you can make a mistake, but, you know, God's always going to be there and tell you, it's okay. Just, just come to me. I'll fix you. Okay, because the church is not a, it's not a place for everyone just to come and, you know, be perfect. And like, I can't come to church if I'm not perfect. No, God makes the church a place with people who are broken, people who need, you know, restoration, people who need to be fixed. Okay, because we all have issues in our life, whether it be financial issues, whether it be drama with your family, whether it be just having an attitude or just pride. You know, because we all deal with different problems like that and and. God is going to be here, and he's always going to be on your side. You know, the word says, if God is for me, you know, who can be against me, right? So just I want to encourage you guys. God is for you, and I went on, ended out with this with this um, one scripture. It's in Jude. It's in the message. It says, Jude, I, Jude, okay, I am a slave to Jesus Christ and, uh, and, brother, to, and brother to James, writing to those loved by God the Father. Who's loved by God the Father today? Who loves God today? Man, right? Okay, called and kept safe by Jesus Christ. This is what the word says. It says, relax. Relax. Everything is going to be all right. Rest. Everything is coming together. And open your hearts because love is on the way. Amen. So I'm here to encourage you guys to tell you that love is on the way. Rest and relax. God's telling you, I got this covered. Stop worrying. Stop, you know, being stressed because what? We're too stressed. To, you know, we're too blessed to be stressed, right? So open up your hearts because God is giving you love today. God, he's going to send that on the way. He's going to encourage you today. He's going to, you know, heal the hearts that are broken. Amen. All right, Jesus, thank you, God, for what you're going to do in this service. Lord God, I pray, God, that as we worship God, we lay it down. God, we lay everything down, God, that we just, we will live in freedom, Jesus. We will be free to just be by, uh, live by your word, free to laugh, free to dance, free to cry, free to do anything, Jesus. Because we love you, God, we love you, and we know that you have changed us, and you have turned everything around in our lives, God, for the good, Lord. In Jesus' name, God, be with us, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen, amen, amen. I just sense the Holy Spirit in this place. Would you just lift your hands this morning? We praise you, Lord. We prepare our hearts to sing to you. Come on, prepare your heart for worship. Come prepare yourselves to worship the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. Come, Lord. Oh, we sing it out to you. You've been so good to us, Jesus. As a people, you've been so good. Your grace is at you, oh, Lord. Love you, Lord. Come on, tell them love you, Jesus. Clap your hands this morning. Help me sing it. I want to scream. I want to scream.
good and I'll dance because you are good and I'll shout because you are good, you are good to me. And I'll sing because you are good and I'll dance because you are good and I'll shout because you are good, you are good to me. Yeah, we're going to sing it again. I want to scream in every voice. Come on. Here we go. I want to scream it out from every mountain top. Your goodness knows no bounds. Your goodness never stops. Your mercy follows me. Your kindness fills my life. Your love
praise in his place. He is God. There's no one like him. Hallelujah, church. We're going to sing this new song. We want to sing this new song with you guys. It's called Here For You. And isn't that the purpose that we're gathered here this morning? Right? Amen. In our minds, and if we think about it, we can be somewhere else. We can be watching the Bears game. We can be at home right now with chips and dip, getting ready for kickoff. Or we can be at home with family or doing other things. But we're here this morning giving God praise because we realize, man, God, you are worthy of it all. And the Bible says that he meets with his people. Come on, we serve a God that meets with his people, amen. Come on, right now, just in your hearts right now, say, God, I'm ready to meet with you this morning with my brothers and my sisters, with my family right now. Oh, we sing this out, let our praise. Nothing here is here. You are my one. 
We welcome you with praise. We welcome you with praise. Almighty God of love, we welcome in this place. Let every heart adore. Let every soul awake. Almighty God of love, we welcome. Sing it again. We welcome. We welcome you with praise. We welcome you.
that you're going to have to sing your own song of praise, that you won't have a karaoke screen in front of you, but from your heart, you're going to decide to worship the Lord. So right now, just with that heart, will you just worship Him? Come on, you don't have to sing the words on the screen, but right now, let it be from your heart. Let it be from what He's doing in your life. Come on. God, I praise you, God, because you've been so faithful to me, God. You've given me strength. Come on. Lift your voice. We worship you. Come on, you are God. So like you, Lord. So like you, Lord. So like you, God. So worthy of our praise. So worthy, Lord. So worthy of our praise. Every day, every day, every hour. attitude of praise and worship. If you feel led by the Spirit today, just go ahead and encourage your body. If you have a word of prophecy, just a word for the church this morning, go ahead and share it at this time.
we thank you for that unconditional love. Would you just thank him right now? Come on. You deserve it. You're not deserving of his love because you came to church this morning. It's because he first loved you. Respond to your word this morning. We want to meet with you, God. Oh, Lord. You're such a great God that you will speak to your people. You're such a great God that you will come and you will give us words. Oh, yes, so oh God. Come on, church, we're just going to close in this last song. Just singing of God's greatness, amen.
God to us. We thank you, Lord. God, we love you. God, we praise you. God, we know that you're meeting with your people by the power of your Holy Spirit. God, you don't give anything less, but you yourself are meeting with us, and we bless your name. God, we're excited that we can come as a family, as a body, into your presence, God. We bless your name, Jesus. Amen. Just in the attitude of prayer, if you can just have a seat this morning. We're going to go ahead and, and allow the kids to go ahead and, and leave. We have some of the leaders here. So if you're a child, we want to go ahead and dismiss you at this time. How many of you guys are excited to be at church this morning? <laughs> now, I know many of the times when we say something like that, excited, we're like, oh, we got to get excited, so we should just clap. But I'm telling you, the Holy Spirit's in this place. And that's, that really genuinely is exciting because we get to spend eternity with God. When we die and go to heaven, we have the rest of eternity to spend with him. But even now, right now, right now, don't think about maybe later when the pastor starts preaching. Right now, the Holy Spirit's in this place. And he's moving upon your hearts, amen. I mean, I want to just share this gospel presentation. If you can open up your Bibles to John chapter 9, amen. John chapter 9, and we'll start in verse 1. I love this. It's just a story of a daily, uh, just normal day in Jesus' life, amen. I'm doing the gospel presentation. The title of the, of the, uh, the chapter, it starts with Jesus heals a man born blind. Isn't that exciting that when Jesus does his gospel presentation, people get healed? <laughs> Come on, I mean, it's not just, oh, that's some good information. People are getting healed. People are getting set free. Amen. So let's go ahead and read in just a, a daily, just a normal routine for Jesus. And it says this, as he went along, verse 1, John chapter 9, verse 1. He says, as he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus. But this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. Hold on, I just want to break that down really quickly. Here Jesus is coming along and he sees a man born blind. And the disciples quickly say, hey Jesus, what's the problem here? Did this man sin or his parents? You see, the issue of sin comes up. They were walking along, and they see this guy, and here they talk about sin. You see, when you come into the church, and when you think about God, and we think about Jesus, there's no way around it that you can say, you know what, I'm going to come to church today. I want to be encouraged. 
you know, I want to come to church today. I just want someone to tickle my ears. Just tell me I'm going to be okay. Just tell me you're going to pray for me and bless me. We see with this story, Jesus was coming along, and this issue of sin, this topic of sin comes along, and Jesus answers their question. They're asking, is this man, is he blind because he sinned or his parents sinned? And Jesus was correcting their theology, saying, neither, but so that the works of God might be displayed. And you're wondering here why you're here this morning is because you're here at a church. You want to just hang out with people. I'm telling you, you're here this morning so that the works of God might be displayed. The works of God might be displayed in your life. Whether you're saved, whether you're not saved. Listen, we want everybody here to know Jesus Christ, but we can't force you. You see, this issue called sin is a, is a big deal. We don't want to play it off. We don't want to say, you know what, just talk about that some other time. People don't like hearing about that. If you read, if you study the statistics in church, mega churches, they're, they're, they're wanting to talk about heaven and hell less. They don't want to say sin, but guess what? We'll say here. <laughs> Jesus talked about it. Sometimes we get so uncomfortable when we talk about, man, I don't want to know about that. But guess what? There's some good news today. There is some good news because Jesus Christ, see, he didn't leave that blind man there. See, we may be talking about in the physical being blind, but how many of us were spiritually blind without Jesus? All of us. All of us, me and myself, I was blind without Jesus. I'm not up here because I went to school. I'm not up here because I'm better. I'm not up here because I'm a youth pastor. I'm up here because of grace. It wasn't because, oh, they just pick out him. No, grace, the grace of Jesus Christ. And that same grace is reflected here that this man could do nothing about his situation. Isn't that us? Caught in our sins, we can do nothing about our sin, our weaknesses, our sicknesses. Come on. But Jesus Christ stopped by. And the pastor later goes out and says that the man was healed. I get excited about that. Because I know that the works of God, if they were displayed in Jesus' time, and he says, I'm going to be with you, it's going to be the same. It wants to be displayed here tonight today rather this morning amen just in an attitude of, of prayer could you just stand up with me please this is the gospel presentation that Jesus wants to save you from your sin he's walking by and he doesn't want to leave you by yourself he wants to reach out with you in your darkest place in your darkest times amen so just right now we just want to pray and just thank the Lord and maybe some of us here I say hey you know what that's kind of me. I'm going through some hard times right now. I'm not blind in my physical body, but I, I'm spiritually blind. I can't see Jesus. When I open up the Bible, it doesn't make sense. Or maybe I keep on sinning and I just can't break this, this habit. Jesus is walking by and he's seeing you right now. And he's saying, this is happening so that the works, my works may be displayed. So right now, we're just going to allow him. If you can close your eyes and bow your heads. If you're saying, God, I want your work to be displayed in my life. God, we thank you that your spirit is in this place. And God, we know that your spirit, you are God. So God, we pray for every heart in this place. Jesus, you're walking by. And we pray that every person, God, whether they're, they're in sin, God, or whether they may be uh, uh, physically ill in their bodies, God, we know that you are coming here to display your works. And we know that it's only through you we can have nothing to do with it. So we turn our eyes to you, God, and we say, come heal our hearts. Forgive us of our sins, Jesus. 
Jesus' name we pray. Amen. What we're going to do is we're going to recite this confession. If you need a copy of it, we have ushers here that want to hand you a, a, um, a paper with a confession. So if you need the confession, just go ahead and raise your hand. The ushers are going to go ahead and meet you. But we're going to read this out. And if you pray that, say, man, you know what? I want to I say this and believe it into my heart. We're going to do that right now. On the count of three, we're going to read it off. You ready? One, two, three. I believe in one God and creator who is the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Father who so loved the world. The Son who purchased my salvation in his death, burial, and resurrection. And the Holy Spirit who makes me new and abides in me forever. <laughs> amen, amen, amen. I believe in the perfect holy Bible that reveals God's purposes and plans for my life. I believe in the second coming of Jesus who will judge the living and the dead. I believe in the eternal reward of believers and the eternal punishment for all unbelievers in Jesus. I believe in the United Church of Jesus Christ built upon apostles, prophets, elders, and deacons in which the gates of hell shall not prevail. I believe in the salvation for all mankind it is by faith alone, in Christ alone, by God's grace alone, and for the glory of God alone. Amen. Hallelujah. Come on. Give him a hand clap of praise. If you prayed that prayer in your heart today, you're saying, man, I want somebody to come walk alongside with me. Amen. We have Jessica and Salvador. If you can raise your hand here in the corner. And we're going to dismiss in fellowship right now. But if you feel like, man, I want to talk to somebody that was for me, we have some people here, some leaders that say, hey, we want to talk with you. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. Why don't you greet your neighbors? Come on, give the Lord a hand clap of praise. You can go ahead and greet your neighbors. Go ahead and fellowship at this point. Amen. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Shake a few more hands. We're so glad that we're uh, joining you this morning in an awesome time of worship unto God. So glad that you're here today. God is doing good things. Come on. Yeah. Oh. Come on, got some elevators right here. I want to hear you guys make some noise today, okay? want to hear some amens. Oh, whoa. <laughs> 
almost clotheslined her for a hug. That's okay. That's okay. Amen. If you can make your way back to your seat, we appreciate that. Thank you so much for coming this morning. Can you look at your neighbor and say, neighbor, I'm glad you're here. Amen. I'm Pastor Joe. Welcome, welcome, welcome. We are so glad that you are here this morning. I, I just am thankful that this building has been a blessing to us. It's already been our third week here. And how many are just loving this building? Can I get some amens and a hand clap? Amen. Doesn't this just feel like home being here and having everybody together and just fellowshipping? I love it. I love the intimacy of it. I love like right here I could just give some high fives. Like, come on, this is like the front row right here, baby. Come on. Amen. I love how close you guys are. Come on, slap your neighbor high five. Come on, slap them high five. Slap them high five. There you go. Well, we're so glad that you're here. You can always find out more about us at mpichurch.org. Everything is online for free. We're also webcasting right now. So everybody just look back to the sound booth and give a wave, say hi. Some of our sicky poo people couldn't make it this morning. We got to pray for them. Amen. And then every Sunday morning, we are here at 10 a.m. So we want you all to keep coming. We've got some great things lined up for you at this season of our church. And we're really just wanting to see you be a part of what God is doing. We're meeting here on Wednesdays at 7 o'clock as well. And when we come Wednesdays, we also have things for our children. We call it Royal Rangers and Impact. It's like Boy Scouts, Girl Scouts. So bring your children out on Wednesdays. And then Friday, elevate. Come on, elevators, man, going to another level. Amen. And it's every Friday at 7 o'clock. You heard from our youth pastor today. God is blowing up, and you got to show up. Everybody say he's blowing up. So you got to show up. Amen. Here's some special things on the calendar for you. We want you all to come out this Wednesday. Or excuse me, is it this Wednesday, last Wednesday? Okay, last Wednesday of every month, which is not this Wednesday, the next Wednesday, we have a family fun night, and this one is going to be a costume party. Does anybody like costume parties? Come on, dress up like Pharaoh, dress up like something from the Bible. If you come like Freddy Krueger, we'll still let you in, okay, but we'll talk about you when you leave. Kidding, kidding, kidding. Half kid. Did you see what they wore to the church costume party? Oh, my goodness. No, we're not going to do that. Just come in a costume, okay? If you don't have a costume, just come as you are and just have F-U-N fun. Somebody say fun. It's family fun night. You know, when we have children in the back there and we're doing things on Wednesdays with children in the back, it's hardly uh, ever a time when we're all together with our children. So Wednesday, last Wednesday of the month, we say all families hang out, children, young, old. We have games. We have a porch out there. We're going to have some free refreshments. We're going to give everybody candy. We're going to let them know they don't have to go trick-or-treating for candy. They can just come to church, amen? So come as you are, and I think it's awesome that we're doing that. And the team that's been doing that has been doing so awesome. Where's Berto at? Let's just give it up for Berto. Is he here? Let's just give a hand clap for Berto and the team. And by the way, every Wednesday they're handing out free popcorn to the community right now. If you want to be a part of that, just getting everybody excited. And then right now what we're doing is life groups. Anybody excited about life groups? Come on, somebody, and we're excited about the Truth Project because the Truth Project is meeting in all your life groups right now, life groups, home Bible studies during the week. And right now the Truth Project is a series of lessons that are taking you through the biggest issues you're facing today in your world about how to have God in your job, how to have God in government. How many have been thinking about God in government lately? Anybody with the elections? Amen. We don't want to start a World War III feud here, okay? I'm just voting for Jesus. Come on, somebody.
No, I'm kidding. I know who I'm voting for, but I'm not going to tell you. I'm going to talk about it the Sunday before we vote and tell you why and how I vote. But just here's the idea. We live in a community of free culture. Why is that? We're going to talk about why our founding fathers made America the way it is. We also talk about in these, uh, these lessons about how to get involved in the community. So here's real simple. Take a flyer, bring it home, and pick a life group if you haven't found one already, and it will change your life. Everybody say amen. Come on, somebody. And every time you come to Metro Praise, our vision, strategy, and goal, it never changes. Somebody say, love God, love people. Thank you. That's our vision. That is what we're focused on. It comes from the words of Jesus, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Is anybody strong up in here? Flex some muscles. Come on. Somebody say, strength. I was watching the Avengers, you know, and I just got to admit, my favorite one is Iron Man. Why do I love Iron Man? Because he's cool, man. He flies around. He does all this stuff, but he's strong. You know what I'm saying? The Hulk is strong, but he's crazy. You know what I'm saying? I don't want to be crazy. You know, I'd rather be cool and strong. But here's the idea. God wants you to love him with all your strength, with all your energy, and then love your neighbor as yourself. Somebody say, love. Amen. Thank you. And then our strategy, how we make disciples here, connect, mentor, send. Somebody say connect, mentor, send. Thank you. This is why you come to church. This is a part of the process here, connecting to God and then getting mentored and trained and being sent out to change the world comes from the words of Jesus to go into all the world. How many parts of the world? All the world. A-L-L, all. Everybody say all. Thank you, going into all the world, teaching them to obey everything Jesus said. So we want you to join our discipleship program, and here's how it simply works. Somebody say connect. Connect. Bam. You join a life group, and right now we're doing the truth project. Somebody say life groups. Thank you. Bam. You plug into a life group meeting throughout the week. The second thing is mentor. Everybody say mentor. Thank you. While you're there at a life group, a leader will take you through our first book one-on-one -on -one to spend time in your life. And then when you graduate from that, they'll bring you into a class to teach you how to live for God. Our church has two books totally designed to help you grow in your Christian walk. Does everybody here want to grow? Amen. You've got to grow so you can go and change the world. And sending is evangelism, changing the world, sharing your faith wherever you go. And we believe if we have the vision right, loving God, loving people, like he said, if we have the strategy right to connect, mentor, and send and make disciples, we can get a goal of 100,000 disciples here in Chicagoland, somebody, with 50 churches. We already have our second in Wicker Park. We can plant 48 more and 500 around the world. We can be roof breakers. And history makers. Can I get an amen? Amen. And here is how we're doing it by tithes and offerings. Anybody get excited about tithes and offerings? Do I have a church here that wants to be blessed? Y'all faking it. That's okay. When we give to our church, Metro Praise International, you're giving to the vision to love God and love people. Thank you for those who support this place. When you give your offerings to the building fund or to missions, you're allowing us to go around the world. Right now our books are being used in five different nations, Pakistan, India, Nepal, and we're currently saving mission monies to start sending out our own missionaries in the next three years. When you give to the building fund, it allows us to keep this place beautiful and looking nice. And when you give that tithe, 10% of your total income, it enables the budget, the day-to-day expenses, the lights, and all of those things that we need here to function. And I want to ask you, if you're not tithing, to please consider doing so because it will make the difference. And if you have extra, circle offering and help make this place better. Can I hear an amen? Amen. Would you stand to your feet with me, to, uh, please, as we get ready to receive 
tithes and offerings. We also have online giving. You can give through your credit card or PayPal account, Chase Bank. We're making it easy for you at Metro Praise International, mpichurch.org. And what God taught us when he walked the earth in, in flesh, when Jesus walked the earth, he taught us about finances. You know, a lot of times people don't think that Jesus uh, had money because uh, the Bible says that that wasn't what he came for. But he did have money. He didn't come to be a king like Solomon or, or David, but he had finances. And the Bible talks about Judas was actually in charge of the money bag. And from time to time, Judas would steal from that money bag. Uh, the Bible then talks about they had to pay taxes, and they didn't have any money, and God said to go fishing, and there came money out of the fish's mouth. Somebody say, miracle. Amen. That's a good miracle. How many would like that miracle? Amen. And we just believe that, even though it sounds crazy, but we believe God can do it. And the Bible then talks about that there were times when they needed things. Like at the Last Supper, they needed things, and they paid for it. And, and the Bible also goes on to then say that there were certain people that would follow Jesus that would give to him to meet his needs. Some of the women mentioned in the Bible are known to have done that. Why am I saying all of this? Because when Jesus said this scripture that we're uh, speaking over your life and our church's life, when he said Luke 6, 38, he wasn't speaking from a sense of, I'm so spiritual, I don't need money. My disciples are so spiritual, they don't need money. What he was saying was, we all need it. We have to pay for our clothes with it, our food with it. He understood that principle. And as a matter of fact, when you go to the Old Testament, God blesses people with abundance so that not only they have enough, but to share. And I just want you to hear this, because a lot of times we quote it, and we'll say it together in a minute. But I want you to hear what he said. Give, and it will be given to you. Now, you might say, Pastor, I don't know if I believe if I give here, I'm going to go get a bonus check at my house. I want you to see this, how this works. Uh, at your job, get a bonus check. See how this works. When we give to the Lord here, because, you know, uh, God is using this church as his storehouse, the Bible says. What he is literally saying is he's going to reward you in your labor. And the way I like to look at it is you ever see these football players when they make a touchdown, like they'll grab a knee? Y'all ever see that? Now, does that football player have to grab a knee in thankfulness to God? No. He could just slam the ball, do whatever. Uh, if a person doesn't grab a knee at a touchdown, uh, does that mean that uh, God did not give them the ability? Like, for example, whoever makes a touchdown doesn't thank God. Does that mean they did it in their own ability? I want you to think about this. The one who grabs a knee is admitting that the ability they have has come from God. The other ones may not. The other ones may forget. The other one may say, I did this by my training and my own strength. But the one grabbing a knee in that example is saying, I believe I did everything because of what God did in me. Now, I want you to think about this. Give, and it will be given back to you. How many of you have a working brain today? Can I see you raise your hand? How many of you have a working brain? Raise your hand. How many of you have hands? Raise your hands. Praise God. There's people without hands, and they still do good things. But how many of you have eyes, and you can see? Can I just, you know, how many of you have feet? Can you stop? Where, where does that come from? God. So when you're giving to God, he's already given to you beforehand. He's given to you first. Now you're giving to him. And the Bible says he gives back to you. What's he going to give back to you? The breath to breathe, the functioning brain, all of that. So whether or not you're saying to yourself, well, oh, I don't see a big check or, or you know, I don't get all of these blessings raining down from heaven. My life is hard. Get in the understanding God is giving to you. And as you're giving to him, he's giving back to you. When people start realizing God is at the center of what they do, 
they can be better at what they do. When inventors say God is at the center of what I do, they're going to invent better. When businessmen are at the, saying God is at the center of what I do, they will have a better business. Now let's keep going. It says a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be poured into your lap. This is talking about harvest time. When people would go out and pick out the, the grain and the wheat and everything, they would have to... Um, bring it to market and when they would bring it to market it's kind of like when I did my leaves yesterday and I filled up my bag of leaves how many know that there was a lot of air in there and so when I got on it it squished down you guys know what I'm talking about and so it's kind of squished down and so what it's talking about is if you went to market like a bag of chips and somebody was selling you some wheat and you opened up that bag of wheat and it went and all that air came out and there was just this much of wheat at the bottom like your chips how many know what I'm talking about here You'd be like, that's lame. Like, there's just this much chips here, all that air in there. Okay? What the Bible is saying, when you're giving to God, God is giving to you not in some false way, in a fake way, trying to manipulate you. When he's giving to you, he's pushing it down. He's taking out all the air. He's allowing you to receive more. He is then blessing you, shaking it together, making sure there's more room. And then the Bible says it's running over. It's running over. Now think about your life. How does this relate to you today? Well, God gives you your life. You're giving back, God, the substance that you have from that life that you have, uh, you know, called your paycheck, your job. You're giving that back to him. And what does he give back to you? More life, more oxygen, more talent, more ability. And now when you're on your job, the Bible says if there's somebody going to get a raise, if there's somebody who's going to get a grant to college, young people, you should be that person because God is blessing you. And you can hold on to this and you can say, God, with the measure I use, I want it measured back to me. Now, if y'all don't want to be blessed, y'all do it your way. Amen. I'm just telling you what the man said. Amen. Because some of y'all looking at I just want to drop some money in the offering. Let's get on with this. I just want you all to be blessed. I want to be blessed. I want to know how God intended me to be blessed. That's how. Let's pray. Father, I thank you today for a church that wants to give because you've already given to them. And as we give, you give back to us. You'll wake us up tomorrow morning. You'll give us the strength, talent, and ability. And, Lord, as we continue to be generous with our finances, God, you'll be generous to us. Your word says, I've never seen the righteous forsaken or the descendants begging for bread. Lord, and I speak that over your people today, that every family would be provided for. Everyone looking for a job, God, would find one. That our government officials would get rid of corruption, Father God. That our nation would come out of debt. That they would pursue righteousness from Wall Street to Main Street to the back street. That God, businesses would succeed on your principles again, Father. And Lord, not only for our nation, but for the nations of the world, where our soldiers defend our freedom and where Islam is oppressing their people. God, we pray for the gospel to go forth, God. We pray for the gospel message to go forth through missionaries and through their lives, oh Father God. And what you do in Chicago, God, we ask you to do around the world. Save souls. In Jesus' name, can everybody say amen? Amen. Now let's say what Jesus said. One, two, three. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Will you give the Lord a hand clap of praise? Say amen. Come forward as you give rejoicing. Thank you so much today. God bless you. Because you are good, and I'll shout because you are good. Cause you 
this morning. Guys, you guys rocked it out, man. I love it. I love it. I love it, man. God is so good. Open up your Bibles with me to Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, please. We're going to be uh, talking today about David in our series, Cloud of Witnesses. Uh, would you put that up for us as we uh, start the series every week? Thank you, sir. Pro favor. We're going through a series every week for this month. We've already talked about uh, the faith of Abraham. Last week we talked about the humility of David. Did that change anybody's life? Did anybody go home a little bit more humbler? Anybody act in humility this week? Or did you all just forget it? Okay, it's all right. Don't lie in church. Today we're going to talk about the worship of David. Next week we're going to talk about the prayers of Jeremiah. And let me just tell you why you want to come here next week. Because we're going to pray and intercede for our nation next week. To me, it doesn't matter what party gets in. I know that things will be significantly different in some areas, but the major areas of our nation will not change unless the people change. And I want you to come next week to hear a word about our nation and what we can do. My friends, let's not look to politicians. Let us look to God. Amen. And a culture, a society is built on its people. And so media and politics, it reflects the people. A lot of times parents, they get upset about the music industry. And they say, oh, you know, we should shut down the music industry. Have these rappers stop rapping. It's your kids that are buying it. Telling the, the rappers to stop rapping is not the problem. You need to have your children stop buying it. And I know for many of us who are against abortion, and, and we know that, excuse me, that, you know, the, the same-sex marriage is not the right direction. Okay, we stand for that. Okay, but having somebody in politics demanding that is not going to change anything if our culture still wants it. If 30, 40, 50% of our culture still wants it, it may not necessarily matter if we win the vote because they're still going to find a way to sin and do wickedness. That doesn't say that we're not here to care about the parties and the issues, but the most significant thing we can do is help single women not to have premarital sex so the abortion issue doesn't even come up. Amen? Teach men to live right so they don't do that with single women. How about this? Teaching our young people to avoid violence because my nine millie in my closet doesn't hurt nobody. Are you all listening to me? My nine millie ain't causing no problems. Amen. You come into my house, we're going to have a good time. I open the door, we're going to have a good time. You come in uninvited, you're going to understand why the nine millie got 18 in the chamber. Y'all looking at me crazy. I also got a 12 gauge. Ain't going to tell you where I keep that. Boom, boom, shakalaka. Amen. My wife got it too. Got her, got her little, uh, you know, her car, Floyd car. We're legit. So, so what, what are we saying? Oh, we're going to take guns out of Chicago. No, we need to have people stop killing people with guns. I've never killed anybody with a gun. And I'm not, once again, trying to get into the political arena. I have no problem doing that. I'm just wanting you to understand that's not the issue. Taking away all the guns and regulating morality, that's not the issue. The issue is going to be in our hearts. And the Bible says, if my people who are called by my name will call, humble themselves and pray, call upon my name, then I will heal their land. We're going to learn about Jeremiah's prayers. Can I hear an amen? Amen. Today is David, the worshiper, subtitle. He was a warrior and a worshiper. Do I got any warriors and worshipers up in this house? Come on, somebody. Do I got any people that want to worship like David and whoop a, uh, whoop a giant like David, cut off his head, ah, and just go crazy for Jesus? Amen. Hebrews 12. Like, no, I ain't, I ain't that crazy, Pastor, but 
Anyways, okay, Hebrews 12, 1. This is the series text. I'm just excited today. Here is what we're getting our text from, cloud of witnesses, is what we've been talking about every week this month and how we should look to these people as examples. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, everybody say cloud of witnesses. Thank you. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So today you are in a race. This is a race called the faith race. It determines whether or not you go to heaven or to hell. And the Bible says that you are surrounded by witnesses. There are people in the stands. And these people in the stands aren't just any old fans. These are people who have actually finished the race. So imagine playing the Super Bowl in front of people who have won the Super Bowl, and they're cheering you on going, hey, you can do it. I did it. You can do it. Imagine playing the World Series in front of teams that have won the World Series. The Bible says that you are living out your Christian Christian life in the midst of the witnesses who are in heaven right now that are watching you and they have finished their race. Peter finished his race. Jeremiah finished his race. David finished his race and they're looking at you and I and they're cheering us on going, you can do it. If I did it, you can do it. If God did it through me, God will do it through you. And the Bible says as you're running your race, you need to do two things. Number one, Get off the things that hinder you. You can't run with dumbbells, a marathon. You can't try to do hurdles holding on to weights. And the Bible calls hindrances things that are not sins, not necessarily wrong, but they're things that hinder you. For example, watching TV is not a sin. But if you're watching it all the time and you're not praying, you need to get rid of that hindrance. Are you all listening? Come on. Fashion is not a sin. Come on, aren't you glad that you put on something this morning? Aren't you glad your neighbor has on something? Aren't you glad your neighbor doesn't smell? Amen. If they do, don't tell them. Just pray for them. Aren't you happy for fashion? But how many know that if you overspend, rack up your credit cards, that becomes a problem. You're not taking care of your situations at home. So you need to throw off that hindrance. The thing that God is wanting us to learn is that in your Christian race, you're going to have to throw off things that aren't necessarily sins. They just don't work for you. The next thing the Bible says is you need to throw off is sins. Sins are sins for everybody. You cannot run your race lying. You cannot run your race stealing. You cannot run your race having sex outside of marriage. You cannot run your race, young people, disobeying your parents. You can't run your race being covetous. Somebody say Ten Commandments. Come on, you can't run your race breaking the commands of God. So the Bible says, therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let's throw off everything that hinders. If fashion is hindering me, I need to spend less. Uh, if, If watching TV is hindering me, I need to watch it less. And then and throw off every sin, anything in my life that's breaking the Ten Commandments of God, doing things that he told me not to, get rid of them. And now what does it say? Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Run your race. No one can run your race for you. That's why we're looking at these life stories. We looked at Abraham. We looked at uh, Moses. Now we're looking at David. Do you know what? Nobody could live out David's, run David's race. Nobody could live out David's salvation. David had to work out his own salvation. Look at your neighbor and say, work it out, baby. Come on. You got to work out your own salvation. So this is your race. It's not a competition for me to beat you. It's a race against yourself. 
The race is against yourself. It is not against anybody else, and it's not against the devil because the Bible says he's already been defeated like a serpent underneath the foot of Jesus, and you've been made more than a conqueror. You can do all things through Christ. The race is against yourself. That's why when Jesus came, he said the first thing you must do is deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow me. Get rid of hindrances, get rid of sins, and run your race with perseverance. That means you don't give up. Well, Pastor, last night I messed up. I did some things I shouldn't have. You don't give up. Repent. Come to church. You're, I'm, you're here this morning. Amen. Do that next week if you mess up. Marriages. Well, we had a big fight. Say you're sorry. Kiss, make up, and move on in your marriage. Teenagers, my parents and I, we fight all the time. Humble yourself. Be obedient. Say you're sorry and make up and move forward. We cannot give up on God because God said that he has not given up on us. Amen. He did not give up on us, and so the choice is yours. Now look at number two. Here is the encouragement. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus. So as every runner runs a race, they see kind of like a, a, the, the end zone for a football player or, or the home run plate for a baseball player or for the runner, they see the, the, the end with the little thing they break. What do they call that little thing? The little ribbon. The ribbon? Finish line. There we go. Thank you. The finish line. Everybody say the finish line. Our finish line is Jesus. When somebody's running a mile, how many know, like if for those of us who don't run, is, is anybody here, uh, let me just ask this, are there some of you here like me that you look at running and jogging like torture? Is there anybody here like that? Okay, some of, is there any crazy folks up in here that actually like to run? Like you're thinking about, I'm going to go running today. God bless you all. God bless you. You are a unique type of person. It was, it was like Tuesday this week or something. It was raining. It was cold. and I Because I walked back and forth to the gym. That's how I get my little exercise. And uh, it started raining. I go, oh, dear Lord, I got to run. And I'm just, oh, God, I'm just like running. And I like see these people like running by me, you know, like the other side. They're just like jogging. Like, they're loving it. I'm like, you guys are loco. What is wrong with you? Why are you running? Why? What good is that? But, you know, some athletes like to do it. So we don't want to put you all down. But anyways, I don't like to run. But if I have to run, the thing I'm thinking about the whole time is the goal. I'm like, it's cold. It's rainy. I just want to get home. I just want to get home. I want to dry off. Come on. Where's my house? Where's my That's how I run. If, when I was in gym class, you know, if they said run the mile, I was like, where's the end of the run? That's why I hate running in circles like that. Just tell me from one to you know, A to B. And just tell me where the thing's over at. Amen? That's just me. Pray for me. I got something to lose, by the way. So I'm just doing my walking. When the Bible says Jesus is our reward, it says look unto Jesus. It's saying he is our reward. We should be looking unto him. He's the finish line. He's worth finishing the race for. He is our creator. He wants to spend eternity with us. And he says when you get discouraged, when you get sad, when things are going wrong in your life, look to me. He says because he is the author and perfecter of our faith. That means he starts it, he'll finish it. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Has anybody here ever been crucified? Have you ever had it that bad? Could you imagine Jesus' day waking up in the morning and then the next moment being crucified? That was Jesus' day. He is to be our example. Do you know that he could go through the most severe pain and trial and still have joy? Pastor, I don't think I can go through the situation I'm going through with joy. Jesus went through the cross with joy. Was he giggling about the cross? Oh, this is fun. Oh, I like the cross. Was he? No, no, no. What was joy? Joy was that deep sense of happiness that he knew was waiting for him after the cross. 
you don't rejoice in sickness. You don't go to a funeral and go, I'm so happy my grandma's passed away. God is good. You don't have to play make-believe and act silly like that. But the idea of having joy to get you through your grandma's funeral, how does that work? Because you understand if your grandma served the Lord, she's with Jesus right now. If you serve the Lord, you're going to be with Jesus right now. He's the finish line. You look to him for your joy, and that's how you make it through these tough situations. How do, you, how do you go to work on a Monday and make it to a Friday? Because you're thinking about the weekend. You're thinking about the paycheck. You're thinking about going out with your friends on Saturday. Can I get an amen? That's how you make it through the Wednesday, right? The Thursday. How do you make it through your Christian life when everything goes wrong? You look to Jesus and you say, if he could endure the cross, scorn its shame, and sit down at the right hand of God, so can we. Verse 3, consider him, talking about Jesus, who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Everybody say, I will not quit. Come on, say it again. I will not quit. Look at your neighbor. Say, neighbor, I ain't going to quit. Look at your other neighbor. Say, neighbor, if you don't see me next week, Come to my house, pull me out of bed, because I ain't going to quit. Amen. Bless the Lord if you ain't going to quit. Come on. It's Christ in us. Amen. It's Christ in us. Now we're going to look to David as one of those clouds of witnesses. Because imagine you're playing that Super Bowl game, and now you're starting to lose. You're getting down. You know, who would you want to talk to at that time? Some Monday morning quarterback beer belly he just yells all the time no what you would want to talk to is a Joe Montana you know if you were the quarterback you would say hey Joe Montana can you come out the stands real quick I'm in the middle of this Super Bowl I don't know how to get the ball from A to B can you help me out the Bible says that we now in our life we can look to these men and women of God and we can look at their examples and say David how did you go through what you went through Abraham how did you do it and so today David is going to be our example I want you to put up the notes for me, please, Andrew. They're on Facebook as well under my name, Joe Y. Rostick, if you want to track there because it's a lot of notes to put into your uh, phone or whatever. But I make it easy for you online, and they're also up here. In the life of David, you can find his story from 1 Samuel 16 to 1 Chronicles chapter 29. A lot is written about him, 1 and 2 uh, Samuel and uh, all of 1 Chronicles. Here's the history before David came on the scene, because I want you guys to have like a Sunday school experience here where you walk away with some good information. We believe God created the world about 4,000 B.C. That's when he created Adam and Eve. So 2,000 A.D. Now, we believe the earth is around six to 10,000 uh, years old. That's our reasons for believing that. Uh, AnswersInGenesis.org, AnswersInGenesis.org can help you understand why we still believe in creation and science. Uh, 3,000 B.C. was the flood of Noah. During that time, God cursed the earth. We believe that's legitimate. We, we can see the signs of that through the fault lines in the oceans, through the mountain ranges and how they got developed, and through places like the Grand Canyon and the fossil record. We believe that there was a massive flood where the water came up from the deep. It rained, but the most important thing to realize is that the water came up from the deep, the Bible says, underneath the surface of the earth, and that is what created the world we have today. Next, we believe in 2000 B.C. is the call of Abraham. He's the first Jewish believer, the one that is circumcised, told to obey God's commands in a very specific way. Then last week, we talked about Moses. That was 1500 B.C. Moses becomes the deliverer of Israel. And then from the time that we left off uh, last week with Moses, there was a time of judges. That means after Moses died, Joshua, his assistant, went into Jericho, the promised land, marched around it, walls came down, and then the people of Israel lived there in Israel because 
became their country, and that's where the Jewish people lived. During that time, they were not led by a king. They were led by prophets, by God's divine call. He would raise up people to lead them. But the problem was every time the judge or the prophet would die, the people would go back to sin. When they would go to sin, God would then send enemies against God's people to defeat them, to teach them, hey, if you disobey me, these guys are going to come beat you up, so start listening to me. And then they would, you know, not listen to them. The people would come and beat them up, and then God would raise up a prophet like Samson. Everybody hear of Samson in the Bible? Or one like Deborah. She was an awesome woman of God. Somebody say, whoop, whoop for the women. Come on. And there's just awesome people in there that tell the story. But after those people would die, like Samson, they would go right back into paganism, doing things they shouldn't have. Around this time, they began to call out for a king. Around 1000 B.C., they said, we don't want no more prophets. We want a king like all the other nations. Now, this discouraged God. This this, uh, upset God because God did not want to give us a king. God wanted us to be led by these prophets. So God said, if you really want a king, I'll give you a king. But the king, he's going to be just like what you're asking. He's going to be like the kings of other nations. He's going to oppress you. He's going to take your women. He's going to take your wealth and your money. They said, we don't care. We still want a king. So then King Saul became the first king of Israel. And then he did those exact same things. He was a wicked king. He oppressed them. And then God said, I will now have mercy on you. I will raise up a king unto my heart, and I will use his kingdom to be a lineage in my house forever. And so the house of David would be actually the lineage of Jesus. Jesus came from King David. So David was born around 1040 B.C., and he reigned as king from 1010 to 971 uh, B.C. Come on. Somebody say amen. Amen. Here's some things to know about David's lives. Here's 10 points I want you to know. Number one, David was anointed king of Israel by the prophet Samuel at the age 13 years old. How many people here are older than 13 years old? See, you could have been anointed king. Isn't that awesome? God doesn't play ageism. A lot of times people say to me, oh, you got so many young people in the church. Amen to that. A lot of old people have pampers and uh, what do they call depends on. They stinketh. Some, no, no offense against old people. I'm just talking about that granny spirit. We don't want to go for God and do big things. Hey, I'll take a teenager that wants to do big things for God than that granny spirit that wants to just keep us all in religion. Amen? I don't want this place to look like grandma's house. Are you all listening to me? Some of you all looking at me crazy. You're like, I like grandma's house. Let's, check this. Let's, let's get to my understanding here. If this church don't look like grandma's church, I'm just saying it's still a church. You all with me? Just because we got lights and all this and we don't have an organ doesn't mean we're not serving God. And I have nothing against old people, by the way, because I'm going to be old. And if you can already tell, I'm getting old. Look at this gray hair. Pray for me. I don't know what happened there. Anyways, we see that David's anointed king at 13 years old. Why? Because King Saul is not being a good king. Then David served King Saul by playing music in the palace. So we learned that from a very young age, King Saul is a bad king, but David at a very, uh, excuse me, we learned uh, early on that David as a young man is a good person, and he plays worship music, and King Saul is a wicked king. This is what we learn. And David starts to work for King Saul. What does this help us understand in life? Sometimes you're a good person, you work for bad people. Does anybody here have a bad boss? You don't have to raise your hand, but I'm just wondering. Does anybody here have some uh, bad company uh, policies that maybe you sometimes have to do that you don't agree with? Or, you know, one time I was working a construction site. Believe it or not, I actually did this one time. I showed up with my little Walgreens hammer and my little Walgreens tape. I was out of a job, and somebody said, hey, I'll get you a job with the union. I mean, this was like eight years ago. I didn't know what I was doing. And so I show up to a union job. No kidding. No, I show up to a union job with a little hammer from Walgreens. 
screens and a little tape. And these guys just start cursing at me and they make fun of me. And we were working downtown and literally on scaffolding. And literally the whole day, these gentlemen lived out the stereotype of what you would think of construction workers. They were balking at women the entire time they were working. And I, and I said to them, guys, I can't be a part of this work environment. You know, you got to change. And then they cursed me out. And then I realized, like, being a pastor on this job site ain't going to work. So I just said, you know what, I got I to gotta submit to them and allow them to do whatever they're going to do. Now, I would have kept working for them, but they never called me back. Um, I think it was, once again, the Walgreens hammer. Those of you who are men here who have been on union job sites, you can imagine this. The little hammer that you put in the window, uh, the little frames with on the wall, okay? My mom had left it there, and we had decorated it. Because the guy told me, bring a hammer with you, so I just brought a hammer. Um, what, what I'm trying to say with that is, is that when we are out of place in our jobs, we don't necessarily always have to quit. We can submit and say, God, get my back. God, will look out for me. David submitted to Saul, even though Saul was crazy. Now, there is a time to quit the job when it gets so crazy when they try to kill you, okay? Because after a while, Saul tried to kill David. That's okay to quit your job when they try to kill you. Can I hear an amen? Okay, number three. Uh, then David killed Goliath at 15 years of age. Did you all know that? David was only 15 years old. Do I have any 15-year-old young men here today or, or young ladies? That's okay. How old are you? All right, stand up and be an example for us. And how old are you? Well, then stand up, you two. All right. Let's give it up for these two young people. Amen. Are you guys single? Single? I'm just kidding. You sit down. We're, sit down. I'm kidding. Getting in trouble around here. Getting in trouble. But would you stand up for me again? Dude, you are just a mighty conquistador. Look at you. Could you imagine David, 15 years old, like this young man, killed a giant. The Bible says he was over nine feet tall. His, his spear was like that of a weaver's rod, which was probably bigger than him, about 12 feet tall. The spear stood over him, nine feet tall, and a mighty man of God like this <laughs> knocked him down. Now, most people don't know the story. See, we got the, the Sunday school story where the thing hits him in the head and falls down. But how many know just getting hit in the head and knocked over don't kill you? Do you know what David then did? The 15-year-old boy walked over to Goliath, took his own sword, cut off David's head, picked up his head, turned around to the army of God, and said, God is good, attack. Give it up for this young man right here. Come on, dude. Let me get a high five. Mm, mighty warrior. Man, 15 years old. Think about yourself at 15 years old and God saying, I want you to take down that giant. I think about some of these UFC fighters, man. Could you imagine facing one of those guys at 15 years old, but God used David. David at 25 years, about 10 years later, 25 years old, covenanted with Jonathan, that was Saul's son, who was actually supposed to be the next king because his children would be in line for that. But he was banished by King Saul, uh, David was, because of Saul's jealousy. But even though King Saul said, I don't want to see you anymore, he couldn't take him away from being a general in the army. And so David actually led the army of God while King Saul was upset at him and at times tried to kill him. And then King Saul wanted him to die. So King Saul had a beautiful daughter named Michael. Uh, um, 
Michael, I believe that's how you say it, Michael. And he said, David, do you like Michael? And he's like, oh, yeah, blah, 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 boom, I like Michael. And he's like, here, I'm going to tell you how you're going to get to marry this daughter. He said, I want you to go kill by yourself a hundred Philistines and bring back their foreskin. Some of you don't know what foreskin is. I'm not, this is church, but i got to tell you what it is. This is the Bible. Philistine men, like some of my Latino Boricua friends, were not circumcised. We're not circumcised. And so this is what Saul says. I want you to go kill them, and to prove to me you've killed them is to circumcise them dead and bring their foreskin to me. Do you think that intimidated David? No, it didn't. He went out and killed 200. He was a circumcising man. He came and dropped it like it's hot. God have mercy. God have mercy. I, I love David. Some of y'all going to change the way you think about David. But I still love David. He was a warrior and he was a worshiper. He was a lover and he was a fighter. He was sweet and he was sassy. Somebody said sour. No, sassy. Sassy's the compliment. The Bible then talks about in 1 Samuel 19 to 2 Samuel that for the next 10 years, everybody say 10 years. Come on, think about that. A decade, King Saul, now because of jealousy, tries to kill David. So David, who has been this mighty warrior, he's this awesome guy at 25. He does everything the king wants him to do. Now the king tries to kill him. And for the next 10 years, it's like, where's David at? Saul keeps trying to find where David's at and, and tries to kill him. And yet God is kind to David during this time of, of 10 years of running. He continues to fight against God's enemies. Because so like while Saul is trying to fight him, he's still fighting God's enemies, the ones that we, they were supposed to be fighting. People join with him. One of the greatest stories here is the cave of Adullam. These guys who had been discouraged because of what King Saul was doing, uh, they said, man, we've given up on Israel. We've given up on these promises. But David comes along, and David says, hey, I'll give you a reason to fight. And these men who were wo once uh, busted and disgusted, they join with David at the cave of Adullam, and at the end of David's life, he lists out these mighty men. They were like the 300. If you've seen that movie, they were powerful men. And so what does that show me? Is that if God can raise up a leader, he can encourage others through that leader. And so be a leader and let people who are discouraged about church and God be encouraged through you. Let them see God in you. Amen. Maybe a pastor let them down. Maybe a church let them down. But you be a leader to them. Amen. Amen. And then we see uh, number six, David at 35 years old after King Saul died was made the king of Judah, that it was a subdivision, a suburb rather of Israel. Judah was a smaller tribal area and then uh, Israel was a bigger area. It was like there was 12 tribes and they kind of looked at him like uh, suburban areas. So he was basically re uh, reigning as king only over one area because King Saul's general Abner did not want to give up the kingdom to God's man. This guy so King Saul caused trouble for David. Now his general is causing trouble. So for the next seven years, David actually has to fight against his own people like a civil war for him to then reign over all of Israel. And so at the time of 42 years old, he becomes the official king of all of Israel. What does that mean? It was 30 years, from the almost 30 years, when he was 13 years old that God said, I want you to be a king, to when he was 42 years old that he got to reign as king. You think you can learn anything from David? 
How about going through some stuff and not giving up? How about learning to worship God even when things aren't going right in your life? See, when some of you go through a problem in this church and we say read the Psalms or be encouraged by them, you look at that like, oh, that's a cheap answer, Pastor. I want you to pay my bills or do something miraculous, create a job. Do you know that those Psalms are the songs that God gave David that brought him through over 30 years of frustration, his boss, his king trying to kill him, people hunting him down. Those were the things that brought him through. What is the lesson we're supposed to learn through this? Your praise is the gateway to your breakthrough. Your praise can raise your life to another level. Your grumbling and complaining will keep you in the same place, but your praise will raise you to another level. Amen, somebody. And that's what we're going to talk about today is to learn how to have a heart after God when things are not going right. How many know it's easy to praise God on payday? Woo! Praise the Lord, I got paid. Who wants to go out for dinner, you know? But can you praise the Lord when bills start coming in? Oh, Jesus. Oh, Jesus. Oh, my goodness, that cell phone bill, what's been going on? Oh, Lord, Comcast, what's wrong with you? You know, it's like, oh, we can't trust God. No, on bill day and on payday, praise God. Amen? And what is the name of our church? Metro Praise International. Metro meaning city praise, giving God the glory international all around the world. Praise him at all times. Amen. Everywhere you are at all times, let praise be on your mouth, the Bible says. Uh, then we see now in number 7, for the next 20 years, 2 Samuel 6 through 10, uh, God blesses David. He's a mighty uh, king. He conquers the, the surrounding people. He brings the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem, and he prospers Israel. But then at the age of 62, we see the biggest error of David's life. I looked through this story again, even as being a college professor, and I could not find in the Bible something that I would say is a mistake of his life other than this situation. And yet this situation was so detrimental, it caused him to not be able to build the temple of God. So I want you to see how serious this situation was. David, at 62 years old, he's a older man now. He takes a break from war and instead he has an affair with a married woman named Bathsheba and then it led to him to lie about it. Then he kills her husband and then God sends a prophet Nathaniel to expose his sin and pronounce judgment upon the child that the woman was going to conceive Bathsheba. Because of the affair a child dies and then calamity is cursed upon David's house. And for the last 13 years of David's reign as king, because of this great sin, he faced many kinds of troubles. Look what happened. Number one, his one son, Amon, raped his half-sister, Absalom's full sister. Then Absalom, defending his sister's honor, kills Amon. So look at what happens in his life now. His house has been at peace. God has blessed this nation. And now because he is not doing what is right, he is cursed. Somebody, a brother rapes his own sister, and then the other brother kills him. So he's lost a son, and his daughter's been raped. The next thing, Absalom then tries to take the kingdom from him, and then he is put to death in 1 Samuel 15 through 18. So now he lose, loses a second son that tries to steal the kingdom from him. And then in uh, 1 Kings 1 through 2, Ab, Ab, um, 
Adoniah. Adoniah, David's other son, tries to steal the kingdom, and he's put to death. By the time the curse had worked its way through David's life, he couldn't build the temple. He had lost three of his sons, and his daughter was raped. And during all of those trials and tests, the kingdom of Israel suffered because David wasn't the kind of king he was supposed to be. What do we get out of this? Number one, you can live your life with integrity until your 60s and 70s and blow it at the last mile of your race. Don't you quit and give up on God. That's the first thing that we learn. You can say, I mean, just like me, I've been serving the Lord for 17 years. I could be 60 years old, be pastoring in the church, thousands of people, televisions, all that you could imagine, and lose it in just a moment. Have you ever heard a preacher do something like that? Hello, haven't preachers done that? Where they get to a place where it's like God is blessing them, God is moving, and then boom, one mistake brings them down. This first thing that I learned. The second thing that I learned is God is not going to be mocked. God will punish sin. God will punish sin, my friends. Do not think you're getting away with it. Sometimes we look at the corruption in Wall Street, corruption in politics, and we say, oh man, doesn't seem like there's any uh, punishment for that. No, they're not getting away with it. The Bible says it is mine to avenge, says the Lord. Their punishment is coming. And the third thing that we learn out of this is that God still loved David. Did David mess up? Yeah. Did he suffer a penalty? Yes. But did God still love him? Yes. David didn't stop running in his race. You want to talk about tripping up, hitting a, a pothole? You want to talk about getting down in the game and being, being under by a whole lot of points? David could have quit and said, forget this God stuff. As a matter of fact, we somewhat think Sam, uh, Solomon, his son, did that. He could have said, forget all this God stuff. But no, David kept worshiping and serving God. Has anybody here ever messed up in life? Has anybody here ever had to get up and keep serving God? You can relate to David. Amen. Here are the four mistakes of David's life as we learn about how to not make these mistakes. And it's all around that one situation with Bathsheba where he has an affair. Number one, it's laziness. Everybody say laziness. Thank you. 2 Samuel 11.1 1 says that when the kings went out to war, David stayed home. See, there was a time, like in Chicago, where you just can't do stuff in the winter. It's like, man, ain't nobody doing anything in the winter. Gang banging goes down in the winter. You know, our policemen tell us, like, they can't wait for it to get cold. But once it gets hot, the block gets hot, right? So there was the same thing back in Israel. Once it got warm, the kings went out, and they just started fighting. Well, David, he decided to stay home. He said, I'm 60 years old. I fought all these battles. I'm just going to stay home. That's what opened the door for him to have the affair. As being a, a person that has a lot of pastoral friends, you know when my pastoral friends look at pornography when they cheat on their wives? And I just heard about another friend cheating on his wife. He's my age. He's a missionary in Argentina. You know when that normally happens? After they've been working so hard for the Lord in a season. There was a man, he just came, I won't mention his name, he just built a $25 million building. He's in his mid-40s. He worked hard for two years just doing everything for that building. And in the midst of that, he got lazy and had an affair with his intern. Why? Why did David get lazy after he had worked so much? Because in his mind, he could stop running. He said, man, I've already run my race. I've already run. I can slow down now. And that's what the devil wants to tell you. Oh, you've gone to church three times this week. You don't got to go every week. You've already went to a life group last month. You don't got to go again. Oh, you know what? You prayed last week. You don't got to pray every day. The devil wants you to get it in your mind that as long as you did it at some point, it's taken care of. He doesn't want you to realize that this is a daily race. And so when David was convinced that, hey, I'm okay, Okay. The Bible says, take heed when you think you stand, lest you fall. 
Now, the balance to this is we're not saved by works. So this is not a rat race where I'm in like a gerbil type, uh, you know, hamster wheel where I just keep spinning and spinning and spinning saying, God, do you love me now? I'm going to pray more. God, do you love me now? I'm going to read my Bible more. No, there's an understanding of God loves me no matter what. Just like the prophetic word came today. God loves me no matter what. Everybody say, God loves me no matter what. Come on, that's the truth. But what he is saying is for you to finish your race, you have to be obedient. See, a lot of times people question the love and the obedience, and and they get them confused. Love is love all by itself. I will love my children no matter what they do, period. Love is a separate subject, but I still want them to obey me. See, some people say, well, since God loves me, I'm going to do whatever I want. Listen, Lucas, he gets 15, 16 years old, does whatever he wants. He'll get kicked out the house just like I did. Because you want to do whatever you want. You can do it down the street, but you won't do it here. One of the best things that my parents ever did for me was kick me out the house. I was selling drugs. I was disobedient. They called the police on me twice for being a runaway child. I got arrested eight times. Eventually, they locked the door, took away my keys, and they said, we don't care if you sleep in the, in the, in the driveway. You're not sleeping here anymore. It all gets quiet when I preach like that. Some of you parents ain't ready for that kind of type, type of tough love. I'm just trying to tell you this, that when the Bible says that David was lazy, you need to get it in your mind that you cannot just say, God loves me, I'm going to do whatever I want. You better work out your salvation, the Bible says, with fear and trembling. Can I hear an amen? My parents loved me that whole time, by the way. It was tough love. Somebody say tough love. Thank you. The second thing is sexual immorality. David looked into a married man's house to see his wife bathe. Then he had sex with her, and she became pregnant. So he's supposed to be at war. He's not. He's chilling at home. He probably had a taller building than most people. He lived downtown, like in that setting. And so he could see into people's balconies, and he starts watching a woman bathe. He lusts in his heart. And then lust then is not enough. He has to now act on sexual immorality. So he says, bring that woman to me. What does this teach us as well? That men and women who struggle with lust, it's never going to be satisfied with just a little bit. Lust wants all of your heart. It takes everything from you. Maybe you might say a little bit of pornography, a little bit of this, a little bit of that. Before you know it, you're having an affair. You're at divorce court, and you're only seeing your kids once a month, and you wonder what happened. It was because you opened your heart to lust. And all you have to do is look at the world. Lust never satisfies. All these people that can have sex, 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 it never satisfies. They tell you that it always makes them feel more emptier and down on the inside dirtier feeling. I mean, some of you were like that as well as I was sexually perverse in the world. And remember that feeling, my friends, next time the devil tries to tempt you because he always wants to remind you of the little good days. You know, he wants to remind you of the day, you know, you drank a little glass of wine, you hit on a girl or a man or whatever, and it went home and everything worked out all right. He ain't going to tell you that time you were sloppy drunk, had sex with a girl in the back of your car, woke up with STDs. Hello? I had two STDs, pastor keeping it real, because I was drunk having sex with people I did not even know, and it even followed me into my marriage, because some of the things that affected my physical body, sexual immorality will have a penalty upon your body, it will have a penalty upon your soul, but it seems so enticing at the moment, and if it could entice David, it can entice you, and if your pastor's going to keep it real, you keep it real, and keep it locked up until you get married, some Somebody say amen. Amen. That's right. I said number three. Keep it locked up. Amen. Ain't nothing wrong with that. It's time, but it's right. Number three, line. Everybody say line. 
Okay, so he stays at home because of laziness. He has sexual affair with this woman. She becomes pregnant. And then now he says to himself, oh, my goodness, this man who she's married to is going to find out I had sex with her. What am I going to do? So he calls in the man off a of battle. This dude is fighting where David's supposed to be. So, so David says, I'm going to call Uriah in off the battlefield to lay with his wife, and then he'll think that baby is his. Lying. Now, this man, Uriah, had more honor and integrity than David because when he came home and David got him drunk, he had wine with David, he said, David told him, go home and be with your wife, man, she misses you. He said, you know what? My soldiers are in battle right now. I can't go home and have that privilege. I'll sleep outside on the grass to honor my men who are still in battle right now. David then got him drunk the second night and said, come on, Uriah, man, let's go home and do the thing. He said, I can't dishonor my men. My men are out there fighting. They're sleeping in tents. I'm going to sleep in a tent out here. David then gives a note to his head general. He says, put Uriah in the, uh, the hardest part of the battle, and when everybody surrounds him, pull the men back that they'll slay and kill him. David. David, the man who was once God's favorite fighter, the young man who killed a giant, who led God's people, a king, he is now saying, I want this innocent man to die to cover up his own sin. What does that teach me about lying? Lying will take you down a path that you never thought you would be on, and it will have you keep lying to cover your tracks. You'll say, oh, I'll just tell this little lie, and then you take a step, and then now you've got to cover that track and tell another lie, and then you've got to cover that track and tell another lie and before you find before you know you find yourself on a path with all of these lies and your character is gone you do things now you never would imagine people say oh I would never steal but they start lying on their taxes they start lying about this they start lying about when they came to their job you know their hours clock in clock out you know hey do you just clock in for me and they start lying before you know it they're just a greedy fool on their way to hell because money is the root to all kinds of evil or because their pride pride brings the lust of the eyes the lust of the flesh and it's all because of lying here David because of his pride couldn't admit hey I messed up he couldn't do that my friends, what should we do if we mess up? Admit it, amen? That's called confession unto God. We should confess our sins to each other. It wouldn't have been so bad if you would have said, Uriah, I messed up. I had an affair. It would have allowed Uriah to live. Wouldn't it have been better for him to have admitted an affair than for him to kill an innocent man? And then lastly, what I just mentioned, 1 Samuel 11, 14 through 17, it led to murder. Here David's life's mistakes went from laziness, sexual immorality, lying, and murder. And yet God still used David. Some of us here today can be encouraged by that. Amen. Perfect people, you're judging David. And that's okay because you're perfect, right? Because you can judge him. But how many people are imperfect and are now feeling a little bit encouraged by David? You know what? In the New Testament, the Bible says adultery is to lust after another person in your heart. That is the sin of adultery. So you may say, oh, I've never had an adulterous affair like David. Matthew chapter 5 says to all people here, you lust in your heart. It's the same as an affair. Now, without raising hands, how many of us here have been guilty of affairs? Then the Bible says that murder, you've heard not to kill somebody. Then Jesus in Matthew 5 as well says, if you curse at your brother in anger, you are now guilty of murder. Does anybody read their Bible? Am I preaching? Can somebody say amen? Now how many murderers do we have here? How many liars do we have here? Can you ever tell a lie? Big lie, little lie? Come on. Some of you lying right now. God have mercy. See, I can relate to David. Anybody, anybody here ever been lazy? 
The Bible says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Put him above everything. Have you always put God in this kingdom first? Gentlemen, have you always done that on game day? Put God in this kingdom first? Families at dinner tables, have you always put God in his way first? Young people with your friends, peer pressure, standing around at lunchrooms, have you always put God first? My friends, we can relate to David in his spiritual apathy because we've all been lazy. We can relate to David in his sexual immorality because we've all lusted. We can relate to David in his lying because we've all we can relate to David and being angry and doing things we ought not to have done and the Bible still goes on to say he was a man after God's heart he wrote Psalms talking about his repentance and so today I want to encourage you no matter what mistakes you've made to be a worshiper like David here's how the New Testament views him amen I'm preaching better than you're clapping that's all right Here's three things that the Bible says about him in the New Testament quickly. He was the great king of Israel. As a matter of fact, the Bible calls Jesus the son of David. It kind of skips all the other kings and says, Jesus, he's a king like David. Isn't that something? Jesus would allow his title, son of David, to be related to a man that had, had made so many mistakes. Why? Jesus, why would you pick him? Because Jesus knew David's heart. He was a great king of Israel, a type of Christ, Mark 11, 9 through 10. He was uh, the majority writer of the book of Psalms. So when you read the Psalms, you're reading mostly all of his writings. There's just a few from the, from the sons of Asaph and a couple from Moses, but majority of them are from David, Matthew 22, 43. And then in Acts 13, 22, I want you to turn there with me. When his life is remembered by Stephen, and Stephen, by the way, if you notice, we used him last week in his speech. He was a New Testament disciple, and as he's getting persecuted by the Jewish people, he recites the lineage of the Old Testament saints. Do you know why I've been giving you the timeline of the Old Testament saints? It's because men of the past, Stephen, memorized those things to know where they came from. You should know where you came from. That's a whole other issue, but Acts 13, Stephen, as he preaches, gives an entire summary of the Old Testament. I love him. But look at what he says about David. Here he is looking back on David's life. He said, after removing Saul, verse 22, he made David their king. He testified, talking about God, concerning him, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, and he will do everything I want him to do. From this man's descendants, God has brought to Israel the Savior Jesus as he promised. In summary, the Bible talks about David coming in a time when there was a wicked king. As a young man, he had a heart after God. He was a musician. He's then anointed king. He starts working for the king. And eventually, he does great things like kill a giant and win a bunch of battles. That king gets so jealous and angry with him, tries to kill him. He then runs and hides, but as he's running and hiding, God is still blessing him and prospering his life. Then he is made king over all of Israel, and he leads the land in prosperity and blessing. But at a certain point in his life, he made a mistake that cost him dearly. And yet at the end of his life, God still used him. Here going now into point 10, at the age of 75 years old, he reigned for 40 years, and God made his son Samuel the king of Israel. He made four mistakes. He was lazy. He got into sexual immorality. He lied and he murdered. But in the New Testament, when they look back on David, how do they think about him? As a great king of Israel, a type of our Jesus, the writer of Psalms, the encourager of all encouragers. Psalms just means songs. So when you go to your Bible and you, and you look at the book of Psalms, that's the book of songs. Anybody like music? Anybody like songs? That's David's songs. And he was a man after God's own heart. If you're ready for the message, somebody say, I'm ready. 
Amen. Will you open up your Bibles to 1 Samuel 13, 14? The message, by the way, is going to be a lot longer than the introduction. But I want to give it to you. I want to give you three things about what made David a worshiper. He was a warrior and a worshiper, but that which stood out the most was his worship. 1 Samuel 13, 14, you see the text that we heard from Stephen in the New Testament. Here it is in the Old Testament. He says, but now your kingdom, talking to Saul, will not endure. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and appointed him leader of his people because you have not kept the Lord's commands. He was a man after God's own heart. I want you to think about this because I know we can hear it and it can just go right over our heads and we can go home today and not even get it. I want you to hear what made him so special by, by looking at this statement a little bit differently. We have a great couple in our church, Berto and Grisella. They're our pastors of this campus. They manage all of those the things that we need done here. Berto, would you stand up and can we give you a hand clap for being a great pastor? Come on. Thank you, sir. Pastor Berto does all of our initiation into counseling. He does all of those things from he, he just he's a, an awesome man. And his wife, Pastor Griselda, who's back there with the ch children. Yeah, let's give it up for her. Amen. Just awesome, awesome couple. I want you to imagine this. Griselda saying this about Berto, and I know that she has in her own words. But imagine this, this beautiful couple. Griselda saying about Pastor Berto, Berto is a man after my heart. Come on. How many women feel a little romantic right there? Men, take some notes right here. Just imagine your wife, men that are married here. Imagine your wife saying about you, not that you took out the garbage, not that you know you played with the kids, but imagine your wife saying about you to other people, Ishmael is a man after my own heart. Joe is a man after my own heart. This thing about David, God said to him, he is a man after my heart. I want you to get that understanding because some things are taught and other things are caught. I believe you have to catch this today. David wasn't with God just because he could be a king. He wasn't with God just because he would get money. He wasn't with God because of what he would get out of it. He was with God because he wanted God's heart. Sometimes we come to church and we treat God like he's our waiter, Jimmy. Jimmy, come here. I'll take all you can give me. My cup's running a little low. Fill it up, Jesus. I need a new house. Fill it up, Jesus. Give me a new house. Come on, we treat Jesus like he's our waiter, and we're in some restaurant just telling him what we want. And how dare Jesus not give us everything we want because if he doesn't do this and that and this and that, I'm not going to serve him. My friends, that was the total opposite of David's heart. David was saying, it doesn't matter what people think about me. It doesn't matter if they chase me down with knives or spears and try to kill me. I'm going after God's heart. I want the heart of God. Let that heart be in you today. You want God's heart. 
And when you think about God having a heart, what does that mean? Does that mean God has a room and he puts a George Clooney picture up with some hearts around it? Oh, I love George Clooney. Or, you know, does he have this kind of, uh, you know, romantic, sexual, uh, you know, understanding? Sometimes we think about God in these human terms. But God, he is a father. And so when we say that, that I'm going after his heart, I'm not trying to impress him or dress for him or talk a certain way for him in some shallow romantic comedy type way. When it means a person goes after God's heart is it means they love what God loves. They hate what God hates and they just want to be where he is. David says, God, whatever you hate, I hate. God, whatever you love, I love. And I just want to be where you are. God, if you're here in the desert, I want to be with you in the desert. God, if you're in my private prayer closet, I want to be here with you. God, if you're on the battlefield fighting a giant, I want to be there no matter how scared I get. God, if you're here in the palace, I want to be here. God, wherever you are, I want to be. And I want to love what you love and hate what you hate. See, worship isn't just the song we sing here for a few moments every week. Worship is an obedient heart to God, saying, I just want God. Because a lot of you, you come and you go, yeah, I love the worship, I love the worship, but I can't do that on my job, and I can't do that all the time at home. So how do I have a worshipful heart? Well, you know how you do that? Wherever you are, you love what God loves, and you hate what God hates, and you just invite him to be with you wherever you are, maybe just under your breath in your cubicle. You just say, God, thank you for this day. I ask you to give me strength, and all I do today will be for you. Maybe it's on your lunch break. You pull open your phone, and, and you open up the book of Proverbs or Psalms, and you start reading these, and you go, God, I just want to give you some of my spare time today because you're worth it. Or maybe it's laying on your bed. Instead of worrying to think about all the things that should have gone on, you just lay on your bed, and you just say, God, I'm so thankful that I've got to live another day. I thank you for everything you've done in my life. I worship you. You're awesome, God. It's, it's, it's not just singing a song. It's a hard thing. It's not a religion. It's a relationship. What David teaches us is that he just wanted to be with his God. And men, we can do that. It's not just singing hymns. It's being where he is, saying what he says, and doing what he does. Three ways that I think will uh, summarize it the best is number one, worship is based in covenant. Number two is worship is expressing obedience to God's laws. And number three, worship is personalized in all human emotions. Look to 2 Samuel chapter 23, verses 1 through 7. At the end of David's life, he gives us the first principle of his worship. The first principle of David's worship is, I'm in covenant with God. Somebody say covenant. Is anybody here in marriage in a covenant with somebody? Come on, does anybody here have children? Are you in covenant with your children? Covenants are important. He realized that the first thing about worship that I've got to know is that it is about my covenant with God, that I'm in committed relationship to him. Look at what he says at the end of his life. You see at the title here, if you could uh, put up that scripture for us, uh, 2 Samuel 23. In my Bible, NIV, it says the last words of David. Can you just scroll down so they can all see that? The last words of David. These are his last words. Look at what David wrote. The oracle of David, son of Jesse, the oracle of the man exalted by the most high God, the man appointed by God of Jacob, Israel's singer of singers. Here's what he writes. 
By the way, that introduction was written by somebody else. They're like, David, the man of faith and power for the hour, the anointed man of God. That's what they were just saying. Here's what he said. The Spirit of the Lord spoke through me. His word was on my tongue. The God of Israel spoke. The rock of Israel said to me, what did God say to you, David? When one rules over men in righteousness, when he rules in the fear of God, he is like the light of morning at sunrise on a cloudless morning, like the brightness after the rain that brings the grass from the earth. How many know he was a poet? Come on, somebody. Is not my house right with God? He Has he not made with me an everlasting covenant, arranged and secured in every part? Will he not bring to fruition my salvation? salvation and grant me my every desire but evil men are to be cast aside like thorns which are not to be gathered with the hand whoever touches thorns uses a sharp iron or a shaft or a spear and they are burned up where they lie the key part of what David says at the end of his life is this God made an everlasting covenant with me he will bring to fruition everything he said Singing songs is a part of worship, but it goes beyond just singing songs. It's living the life of a heart after God. And to have the heart like David has, the first thing you have to resolve in your life, I trust him. I trust him. I may not always see him. I may not always know what he's doing in my life. I may feel like other people are coming against me and I don't understand what I did. Have you read the Psalms, my friends? These are not just I love you, you love me, we're a big happy family, Barney tunes. This is a man going up and down through the emotions of life. But he says things in these Psalms like, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Why could David say that? Though I walk through death, this man literally walked through the death. The the valley of people dying around him in battle. But he said, I don't fear. Why? Because he trusted his God. He trusted his God. There's other psalms that say, my enemies have rose up against me. A thousand at one side, ten thousand at the other. But the destruction will not come near me. My God has hidden me under his wings like 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 a hen hides her babies. Why does David say this? Because he resolved in his heart, I will trust God. Can I encourage you, David, to trust God? To look at David's example and say, God, if you didn't let him down, you're not going to let me down. David's in the stands right now, guys. And he's saying, come on, don't give up. Don't you give up. You may be getting chased around for 10 years in unemployment, you know, going from one job to the other. I was chased by Saul, but God still made a way for me. Don't you give up, sir. Don't you give up, ma'am. You might have made a mistake that cost you something in your marriage. You might have made a mistake, and you feel like you'll never get up from it. David's in the stands, and he's shouting, keep going. Keep running. God will get you through. God will get you through. I've been young, and I've been old, and I've never seen the righteous forsaken. David is in the stands today. He's a witness to you. God will keep his word. And so, yes, next time we put on some songs and we sing, the first thing in our hearts should be, I trust you, God. 
no matter what I go through. Number two, David's worship was expressed in obedience to God's law. Turn there quickly with me to Psalms 119 before I start preaching another message. Come on, Psalms 119, because I feel Jesus right now. Come on, I just want to worship him, my friends. Psalms 119, 1 and onward. Blessed are those whose ways are blameless, who walk according to the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his statutes and seek with him after their whole heart. They do nothing wrong. Walk, they walk in his ways. You have laid down precepts and they are to be fully obeyed. How many want to obey fully God, uh, God today fully? How many want to obey him fully? Come on. Does it mean we always do it? No. But your heart should be, God, I want to obey you. Do I always treat my wife as I want to be treated? No. Uh, you know, we take these vows for better or for worse in sickness and in health. And I'll be honest with you. The moment she gets sick, I kind of want to get away from her. I know that's sad, and I shouldn't be saying this as a preacher, but it's like, you know, I'll be laying in bed, and she'll be like, (laughs) and I'll be like, please, excuse you. I'm trying to sleep over here. And she's like, I'm sick. And I'm like, that's why we have a guest bedroom for little sicky poos. They go downstairs. (laughs) I'm just telling on myself, is it okay if I'm not perfect? Do you still love me, guys? Now imagine, imagine we start a marriage, my wife and I, at the altar, and, and, and uh, you know, the, the, the pastor asks, are you going to be there for better or for worse? And I go, no, no, when she gets sick, I'm going to quit. I'm going to go hang out with another lady, Sally, and, and, you know, if she has a couple of babies and some cellular, I'm going to go to the strip bar. Do you think my wife would have said, I do, to that? You say, how do you come to God? Do you come to God and say, God, I want to live for you, but you know what? I'm still going to be in this relationship with my boyfriend. We're going to have sex every now and then, but I still want to live for you. And and God, I know you want me to give you my money, but God, I'm going to be greedy and keep it for myself. Is that really expressing love to God? How should we come to God? With the heart of God, what you say, I will obey. Honey, whatever you need, I'm going to do. Now, does that become a challenge? Will she remind me of that tonight? Yes. She'll be like, rub my back. And I'll do like my little 30 seconds, and I'll feel like after I did that, like I was like Fabio or whatever. And I'll be like, yes, you were loved on. You just got the best. She's like, you only need 30 seconds. But does that take away the obligation for me to do all things? No. Just because I struggle in doing those things doesn't take away the obligation. They don't take away the laws just because sometimes you break laws. Follow God no matter what. Determine in your heart, I'm going to follow God. Amen? Don't set up in yourself right now a system of failure. Well, I'm going to let them down anyway, so I might as well not try. No, it says you have laid down your precepts, and they're to be fully obeyed. Would you stand up and give the Lord a hand clap of praise today? Come on. For his word as the band comes in closing, I want to give you this third point. Worship is personalized in all human emotion. Worship is personalized in human emotion. How do we worship God? In covenant, in obedience, and with our human emotion. You ever feel joy? Can I get an amen for joy? Psalm 1611, you have made me know the path of life. You filled me with joy in your presence and eternal pleasures are at your right hand. Go to God when you're happy. Anybody here ever have regret or sorrow? Psalms 51, have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. Blot out my transgressions. Wash away my sins. Come to God when you do things wrong. That's running your race. Anybody here ever feel lonely? Can I hear an amen? Come on, we all feel lonely. 
Chapter 22 of Psalms 1 and onward, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You ever feel like even God has left you? David did. It's okay to doubt, my friends, but always remember, doubt your doubts. Come back to faith. David cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from me? Why are you far from my groaning? Oh, my God, I cry out by day, but you don't answer by night, and, I, and you are silent. Yet you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the praise of Israel, and you, our fathers, have put our trust. Sometimes you don't feel God, do you? It doesn't always feel like a Sunday morning at home going through troubles. David could say, God, I don't even see you. It doesn't even feel like you're here. Where are you, God? But God... I'm still going to trust you. Anybody ever get afraid? Deal with fear? Yep. Come on, don't be afraid to raise your hands. How many ever deal with fear? Psalms 57, 1 and onward. Have mercy on me, O God. Have mercy on me, for in you my soul takes refuge. I take refuge in the shadow of your wings until the disaster has passed. I was down there within the first few months of Katrina. Imagine losing your homes, your businesses, your jobs, insurance not even there for you because they're bombarded or you didn't sign on the special paper for flood insurance, but your house, you know, these guys were going through Katrina. Some of them got flooded and all they had was hurricane, and then some of them had the hurricane, but they didn't have the flood. They, they didn't have the right insurance, and, I, and Nancy was with me, and we had people coming up in SUVs saying, do you guys have toothbrushes? They had nothing people would have tears coming down their eyes. And though they weren't saying these exact words, you could hear these words coming out of the heart of them as we began to pray for them. Have mercy on me, oh God. Have mercy on my family. We don't have a house. But God, we're taking refuge under your shadow until this disaster passes. Anybody here ever been in love? Hey, love. Psalms 36, 5 through 10. Your love, oh Lord, reaches to the heavens like that prophetic word today your faithfulness to the skies your righteousness is like the mighty mountains your justice like the deep how priceless is your unfailing love oh praise god here anybody here ever been sad before sad Psalms 5, 1 through, one through uh, 3. Give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my sighing. You ever have so much uh, sadness on the inside of you, you've ran out of tears? And all you do is, you just sigh. You just It weighs on you so heavy. And you're just like, man, if I had more tears, I would cry. But, man, I, I just can't cry anymore. I, just, I lost my mother. I lost my sister. You know, something deep has hit you. I've been out of a job for five years. You know, I just don't know what else to do. He says, God, hear my sighing. Listen to my cry for help, my King and my God. For to you I pray. In the morning, O oh Lord, you hear my voice. In the morning, I lay my request before you and wait in expectation. You might have to go apply for your 20th job. In the morning, give it to God and put your prayer request at his feet. And say, Lord, one more day, one more time, I'm asking you to bless me. You may not have a great family right now, but every morning you're saying, God, I asked my daughter to change, my husband to change. God, I'm laying the request before you. I take hope in you. The Bible talks about all our emotions and the situations we face 
being turned back towards worship to God. I want to encourage you to do that today in such a way that you can be, what can be said of you is you have a heart after God. Let's pray. Father, I thank you today for bringing us into this house to worship you, to love you, to learn more about you. I pray, O oh Lord, that nothing by any means would separate us now from the love you have for us, that any distraction that would come into our minds right now would go. But, Lord, we would focus on you and love you for who you are and for what you've done. Right now, would you raise your hands and just worship him before we leave here? Come on, for 30 seconds. Tell him thank you for three things in your life. Come on, worship him for three things about who he is, three attributes. Jesus, we worship you. We glorify you. We look to you bigger than our problems. We look to you, God. We thank you, God, for all you've done. In our sorrow, we come to you. In our joy, we come to you. We thank you. We thank you. Come on, who wants to believe God today for some great things to happen in your life? Now would you just begin to worship him with those things on your heart and say, God, I trust you. I trust you in my worship. I lay my things that I need at your feet because you are able, my God. I believe you can bless my family. You can provide for my every need. I worship you. God, I thank you for this nation. Her best days are still to come. Guide your people, God. I pray for Metro praise today, God. For families to be made strong in your presence. For worshipers like David to rise up. No matter what they do, no matter where they are, let them worship you. Come on, just worship him a few more moments. I feel Jesus. If all you know how to do is just close your eyes and say, thank you, Jesus, then just say that today. Come on. Don't be distracted by your neighbor. Just close your eyes and say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Altar workers, would you come as we keep worshiping? In your own words, lift up your voice. Don't be afraid to cry out to your God. Whatever emotion you're feeling, sorrow, let your tears come to God. Joy, let your heart be in his presence. Fear, let him comfort and strengthen you. Our God is here. Jesus, Jesus. We're going to sing How Great Is Our God and then close out, but I want you to sing it before you leave, congregation. As a testimony to our God, we'll dismiss after, but let's sing it one time together with the band. How great is our God. Come on, would you sing it out? Jesus, today we put into application what we've learned. You are so great, God. Come on, will somebody sing with us today? Yeah.
Come on, name above all names. Sing it out today. He is Jesus. Just the drums and the guitar. Come on, name above all names. Name above all names. Yes, God. You are worthy of all praise. And my heart will sing how great is our God. Amen. Would you hold the hand of the person next to you as we close out today as a family? Just hold hands as a family. Father, we thank you. Oh, for every person's hand we're holding right now, every person here. Oh, God, would you bless them this week. Lord, whatever they're going through, may they find a place to worship you and to seek after you. Oh, God, I thank you for their lives. I thank you for bringing them here this morning. Prosper them in all they do. And, Lord, as they come back next week, let them come with the testimony, I'm going after God's heart. God's heart is my goal. I want to love him with everything. In your precious name we pray, in Jesus' name. Saints, can you say amen and give them a hand clap of praise? Amen. Woo! Hallelujah! Amen. If you have any prayer requests or need, we're going to pray with you up here. Otherwise, you're dismissed. We'll see you at Life Group. And we're going to keep worshiping for those worshipaholics in the audience today. But come forward if you have.